Welcome to the podcast ministry of Pilgrim Baptist Church. Wherever you're listening from, welcome. We pray that the truth from the Word of God speaks to your heart during today's message. Acts chapter number 15, the law is pictured as a yoke. And in verse number 10 of Acts 15, it says, Now therefore, why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? A yoke It's a wooden implement. It's a farming implement that you would put around two oxen or two bulls, and they would be yoked together, and that would make plowing the field a lot easier. Those those bulls are on there, and they can pull that plow, and that field can get done. It was a task. A yoke was used because they needed to complete a task. And guess what controls and puts those oxen or those bulls in into bondage into subjection that yoke does it's likened to the law it it, it pictures the law as a yoke as a yoke get first kings chapter number 12 we'll go back to the old testament first kings Chapter number 12. And look at verse. Look at verse number three. They that sent and called him and Jeroboam and all the congregation of Israel came and spoke unto Rehoboam. And and spake unto Rehoboam saying, thy father made our yoke grievous. Rehoboam is the king. His father was Solomon. And they're saying to Rehoboam, thy father made our yoke grievous. Now, therefore, make thou the grievous service of thy father and his heavy yoke, which he put upon us, lighter, and we will serve thee. Solomon, he built the temple of the Lord with stone and cedar and the cedar covered the stone and they had olive tree doors and all of this went into the the temple of the Lord. And Solomon built that temple and. But Solomon. He wasn't content to live in in his father's house, so he had some other projects on the side. Because he had 700 wives, he had 300 concubines, and he built a massive palace. It took him 13 years to build that. I guess, you know, you got that many wives, you need something to keep yourself busy. I don't don't know, but but anyway, it took him 13 years to do that. As a result, he started taxing the people very heavily. So this is what they're talking about. Well, King Rehoboam, can you make our yoke lighter than what your father made? Look at chapter number 11 of 1 Kings. 1 Kings chapter 11. 
it's probably good that we start at verse number one. I want all you young people to pay attention. We're going to read 10 verses. This is important. First Kings chapter 11, verse number one. But King Solomon loved many strange women. You see the problem already? Together with the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Edenites, and Hittites. Bad deal. Of the nations concerning which the Lord said unto the children of Israel, ye shall not go in to them, neither shall they come in unto you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. Solomon clave unto these in love. Do you see the problem? Strange women. God said, don't go there. They're going to turn away what? Your heart. But I just feel. Quit feeling. But I just think. Quit thinking. But I just want. Quit wanting. Talk to someone that can think for you. Okay. And listen to that older man at the church house. Listen to the preacher. Listen to the... Because you go after strange women, young fellas, you're going to have your heart stolen. And you pretty much are guaranteed. God can do anything, right? But you're pretty much signing up for... He's going to take your heart. Whatever God she worshiped, you're going to end up worshiping. Just be careful. You be careful, young, young, young men. Be careful. And watch what happens in verse 3. And he had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. Huh. Who would have thought that would have happened? Bad deal. Yeah. Yeah. God gives you a gift of something. Don't think that you're above God and you're above getting involved in sin and all that. Just thank God you're saved. He gave you a spiritual gift. Use it for his glory. I'm telling you, people say, oh, I would never do that. I would never do this. Solomon the wisest man. Got to be careful. Got to be careful. For it came to pass when Solomon was old that his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not perfect with the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. What word did we see over and over? Heart, 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 heart. It's the heart of the matter here. And Solomon did, eat, uh, for Solomon went after Ashtaroth, the goddess of the Zidonites, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. And Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord. And went not fully after the Lord, as did David his father. Then did Solomon build a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, and the hill that is before Jerusalem, and for Molech, the abomination of the children of Ammon. And likewise did he for all his strange wives, which burnt incense and sacrificed unto their gods. Little G, by the way. And the Lord was angry with Solomon. Because his heart was turned from the Lord of Israel, which had appeared unto him twice and commanded him concerning this thing, that he should not go after other gods, but he kept not that which the Lord commanded. He got himself in a real pickle. And as a result, he started taxing these people with this big palace, 
And now it was great. It was a yoke. Solomon got himself a bit of a yoke too. A thousand of them. <laughs> it was a bad deal for him. He shouldn't have done it, but he did. The law is a yoke. It's grievous. It's hard to bear. You can't keep it. The yoke is also pictured as, go to 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings chapter number 19. And it'll be verses, uh, verses 19. 1 Kings 19, verse 19. So he departed thence and went and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen before him. And he with the 12 and Elijah passed by him and cast his mantle upon him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, let me, I pray thee, kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow thee. And he said unto them, go back again. For what have I done to thee? And he returned back from him and took a yoke of oxen and slew them and boiled their flesh with the instruments of the oxen and did give unto the people and they did eat. Then he arose, went after Elijah and ministered unto him. Here, this yoke is, is, is really picturing a fresh start. He's getting rid of that yoke that's on the oxen. It's picturing a fresh start. And we see Elisha is now going to follow Elijah. Okay, so we see the ox or the yoke pictured uh, that way. It's also in Isaiah 10, you'll have to turn there, but I would like you to turn to 2 Corinthians 6 so we can get that on the next point. But a yoke is also pictured as freedom from oppressors. Isaiah 10 says, It shall come to pass in that day that his burden shall be taken away from off thy shoulder and his yoke from off thy neck. And the yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing. It's freedom from oppressors. Uh, the Assyrians oppressed uh, the, na the nation. And so we see a yoke pictured as, as a fresh start in life. You get rid of it. Yoke, your freedom from oppressors. And then 2 Corinthians chapter 6, it's a binding relationship. 2 Corinthians chapter number 6, look at verse number 14. The Bible says, we'll return to this theme here from Solomon. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? You ever try to put two bulls together that aren't either the same size? And aren't compatible in a yoke, you're going to have yourself a bullfight. And it's going to be a nasty fight. But those bulls are yoked together. It is, it, it's a binding relationship that they're forced to be in. We, we had a bunch of rams, male rams, and we're slowly getting rid of the rams. But each of, we have three left. Each of those rams are separated in different pastures. Because if you put them, if you yoke them together in the same pasture, it's going to be a mess. 
and one of them is going to get hurt. And the Bible is saying, look, do not, you're a believer. Don't yoke yourself together with unbelievers. It's going to be an unequal deal. Somebody's going to get hurt. And it's typically the believer. Typically the believer. Can God do anything in a relationship? He sure can. But don't get yourself in a bad relationship. You know, this idea of missionary dating. Well, I'm just going to be a missionary to the person I'm dating that isn't saved. How about no? How about witness to them? And maybe the Lord will save them. And now maybe that thing can develop. But we need to be careful about yoking together with unbelievers for what fellowship with righteousness, with unrighteousness, with communion, hath light with darkness. What conquered at Christ with Belial, what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God. And they shall be my people. That yoke binds you. It's likened to the law. The law binds us. First Timothy chapter number one. The last point on this. First Timothy chapter number one. Look at verse number eight. Everything that we said. Now watch what it says in first Timothy one, verse number eight. But we know that the law is good. If a man use it lawfully, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient. For the ungodly and for sinners, for unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind, for men stealers, for liars, for perjured persons. And if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, the law could never free you from sin. But the law could keep you from sinning more if there were no rules and regulations and laws. In other words, if it was just everybody do what they want, we'd be in worse of a mess. So the law can't save your soul. It can't make you righteous before God. But it certainly can restrain us from not sinning as much as we would without a law in place. They don't want the Ten Commandments in the courthouse because, well, that would be convicting. If some, <laughs> We don't want these poor criminals to walk in and see thou shalt not steal. That would be good for their self-esteem, would it? <laughs> it's, the whole thing's a joke. The law is good. Yeah. And it will keep bad men from doing bad things. It's a restraining. And by forceful restraint, you and I can live lives better than we would without restraint. That's why the law is there. It, it's a restraining. You remove the law, you take away the fear of God. There's no authority to obey now. There's no rules to break now. We can just do whatever we want, and that is not good. So the law is good. You can never eat. You and I could never inherit eternal life from the law. But we can live our temporary life down here in check 
if we had a law. That's why courts have laws. That's why towns have laws. And that is the law like in the new yoke. It can't give you eternal life. It will keep you in check. Last point on that is Matthew 11.30. Jesus said, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Yoke in with Jesus. Yoke in with Jesus. Romans chapter number seven. The second thing that the law is likened to is a deceased husband. We see that in Romans chapter number seven. Romans chapter number seven, verse number one. Romans seven, verse one. Know ye not, brethren, for I speak to them that know the law. How that the law hath dominion over a man as long as he liveth. For the woman which hath an husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he liveth. But if the husband is be dead, she is loosed from the law of her husband. So then if while her husband liveth, she be married to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, she is free from that law so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. If a, woman, if a woman's husband dies, legally, she can marry again. You mean the same day? Legally, she could. That'd be odd. That'd be weird. But legally, she could. The next day, that'd be odd. The next month, what's going on here? But legally, she could do that. Whether it was the same day, the next day, the next month, the next year, 10 years, 20 years, she could. She would not be bound to the law of her husband anymore. And she's free to marry another. My good friend who sells life insurance, he would tell the story. He told his wife. He said, uh, Honey, look at at, at, the, at my funeral. At my funeral, you're really going to have to turn on the tears. You're going to really have to, I mean, get the onion, slice the onion, put it in your pocket. I mean, if, if I die, you have really got to convince everybody at the church house that you are sad and grieving my loss. He said, what are you talking about? He said, is the money you're going to get when I die, <laughs> you're going to be one happy lady. <laughs> she said, it's going to be real hard for you to be unhappy. <laughs> I thought that was pretty good. He used to tell this joke when, 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 when what? Because he would try to let, he would work with couples about life insurance and he would try to, you know, it's typically the man that gets life insurance and then the women, the, the wife usually says, well, I don't really need it um, because it, it, statistically, the, the man, the husband usually dies first. And so he would always chime in with the same response. And he would say to the wife, well, do you know why? And the, the, the wife would always say, no, I don't know why. And he would chime back with, because he wants to. <laughs> I don't know if that goes over so well with the ladies, but it, he was able to pull it off. When, <laughs> when, when 
when your husband dies, you're free from the law of your husband. But look at verse number four, what it says. Wherefore, my brethren, ye also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that ye should be married to another, even to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruits unto God. Imagine if a woman was married to just a taskmaster husband. It was demands that she couldn't live up to. It was rules where at the end of the day, she always felt guilty. And she was just worn out by this taskmaster, guilt-driven husband. She always would feel she couldn't live up. She would always feel that she fell short. She would try to please her husband day after day, month after month, year after year, but she would always fail. After all, look at verse 12. It says, wherefore, the law is holy in Romans 7, and the commandment holy and just and good. The husband is likened unto the law. You can't live up to the demands, yet you're in that relationship. And this is what Romans 7 is trying to, 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 to show. I want to read verse 4. Look at the end of it. It says, even to him who was raised from the dead, watch what it says, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. The law will not produce fruit. And when you see this comparison in Romans chapter 7, you see a husband and you see a wife. You know what you don't see? children you don't see the fruit the husband here is likened to the law the law doesn't produce fruit what does it say in ephesians 9 though for the fruit of the spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth now she can't have two husbands right because she would be considered an adulteress If you want to be married to Christ, any 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 lost person, if they want to be married, you can't have both relationships. You can't have the law and you can't have Christ. It's one or the other. That's why the Bible says you must be born again. You are not under the law of the husband. If he dies. You're free. You're not under the law of bondage. If you trust Christ, you're free from the law. And now you're in a new relationship. That's legal and fine and right. But you can't have both. You can't be in both. It's one or the other. You're either in and under the law or you're in Christ and you're born again. Born again. If you are born again, you've been set free. Live in freedom. Live in freedom. Second Corinthians chapter number three. The law is also likened to a letter written on stone. Get Second Corinthians and Exodus 31. Second Corinthians and Exodus 31. Second Corinthians chapter number three. Second Corinthians chapter number three. Let's look at verse. Number six, who also hath made us able ministers of the New Testament, 
not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter killeth, but the spirit giveth life. But if the ministration of death, written and engraven in stones, was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not steadfastly behold the face of Moses for the glory of his countenance, which glory was to be done away, how shall not the ministration of the Spirit be rather glorious? Go back to Exodus 31, and we're going to see the tables of stone never saved anybody's soul. Look at Exodus 31, verse number 18, the last verse. And he gave unto Moses, which he had made an end of communing with him upon Mount Sinai, two tables of testimony, tables of stone written with the finger of God. You don't see anywhere in the entire passage where those tables, those stones gave anybody eternal life. You can read them. You can memorize them. You can learn from them. You can try to obey all of them. It could convict you. It can show you that you are a sinner, but it cannot and will not and will never give anybody eternal life. Why? A stone can't produce life. It cannot. Where does life come from? Second Corinthians chapter three. Look at verse number six. The end of verse six, for the letter killeth, but the spirit giveth life. Where does life come from? The spirit of God, not a stone, not a law. You must be born again. So the law is likened unto a letter written on stone. It cannot give eternal life. Second Corinthians chapter number three, we see that the, the law is likened or pictured as a veil. Second Corinthians chapter number three, the same chapter. Go down to the 13th verse. And not as Moses, which put a veil over his face. That the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which is abolished. But their minds were blinded. For until this day remaineth the same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament. Which veil is done away in Christ. In the Old Testament, they read the law. They didn't see Jesus. They obeyed some of the law, but they didn't see Jesus. They saw, they saw a shadow. They saw a type. Jesus comes in a body of flesh. Three and a half years, he has an earthly ministry. They see Jesus. They don't see the Savior. They see all of the healings. They see all of the miracles. They see Jesus. They do not see the Savior. And you know what they did? They put him on a cross. You can put it right in front of their face. But the veil. They're blinded. They're blinded. 
And if all you do, if all I do is try to keep laws, we have a veil. And we are not going to see the glory of God. That's why 1 Corinthians 2 says, But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. I'm telling you, I know it's frustrating. You know how it goes. The first time you witness to somebody, you're really excited. Once you hit the thousandth person, you better be careful, and I better be careful, that we just don't get worn out because they don't get it. They got it out. And until that veil is lifted, they're not going to see the glory of God. That law is likened unto a veil. Yes, they're blinded. Yes, okay, they saw Jesus. They didn't see the Savior. You can show them something in the Bible. Why aren't they getting veil? Number five, we've got six of these, so we'll be winding down here. Number five, the law is likened unto a tutor. Galatians chapter number four. Galatians chapter number four. We'll look at verse one and two. Galatians four, verse number one. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, that means he's going to work, he's going to be schooled, he's going to help out. He's going to serve. Different nothing from a servant, though he be Lord of all. But is under tutors. Tutors teach you right from wrong. Tutors say, do this, don't do that. No, this way, not that way. That's what tutors do. And governors until the time appointed of the father. When the law governs you and I, it restrains us. Parents must restrain their children if they're not restraining themselves so that when they grow up, hopefully they have developed self-restraint. But until then, that tutor, that governor, that parent, that teacher has to restrain that child. It's the law. It's good. That restraining doesn't save that child's soul. But it keeps him in check. So he doesn't go farther than he would without any law in place. This is gone in society. Families are running their homes with no rules. There's no yoke of law. There's no yoke of restraint. The philosophy is they have to be happy. After every meal, there has to be dessert. And you figure out what you want to listen to. You figure out what you want to watch. You figure out what you want to wear. And you just go ahead because everything has to be about your esteem. And you feeling good. And this philosophy is rampant all over. It's become the church's philosophy. It's coffee and donuts and hot chocolate and hot cider. We got the coffee bar. Come on in. We're going to make you feel good. We're going to cater to your feelings. And everybody and anybody that talks about sin or living right or the law, well, that it's just that legalistic crowd, and they just don't know the love of God. We do know the love of God, but we know the law of God, too. And we know the law doesn't save us and give us eternal life. 
But we do know that laws and rules and commands are good because it will restrain us and keep us from going farther than we would without any law. Lastly, we'll look at James chapter number one. The law is likened unto a looking glass. James chapter one. This will be the last one for this evening. James chapter number one, verse number 23. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. When you and I are witnessing to a lost person, we are showing them a reflection of themselves. You ask the lost person, when was the last time you read your Bible? They don't want to see who they are. It's like unto a man beholding his natural face in the glass. They don't want to read the Bible because they don't want the Bible to reflect back to them who they are. They're looking in a looking glass. That law is going to show them who they are. So they don't want to read it. How do you get 10,000 and 20,000 people in attendance? You know, mega, mega pastors, you know, Osteen and Burdick and T.D. Jakes and all these all these fellows. How do you get 10 to 20,000 people to come into a stadium? Simple. You take the book and you hide it. You don't allow you don't really preach it or read it or teach it because it's just going to show them like a looking glass who they are. Okay, Exodus 38. Watch what it says in verse 8. And he made the laver or laver of brass and the foot of it of brass of the looking glasses. Watch this. Of the women assembling, which assembled at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. Well, they went to tabernacle, just washed their hands, they'd washed their feet. And we have women here in this verse. Watch what it says. And he made the labor of brass, but it goes on. Of the looking glasses of the women assembling. We don't see any. We see a lot of commands. We see a lot of details. We don't see a command for these women to do this. It seems to me that this is their service. They wanted to do this. In other words, they sacrificed their mirrors, their looking glasses for the service of the Lord. Now, fellas, I'm sure we can't relate to this because we don't care if mirrors come or go. You think about a woman back in the Old Testament. Typically, they didn't have much. If you had a mirror and you were a woman, you're making sure you hold on to that thing. It was valuable. Because they wanted to serve the Lord, they voluntarily, it seems to me, that they came and they gave the looking glasses because we're going to go serve God. 
They want to make sure that that reflection comes and they can see and everybody's clean. Everybody's tight. Why? Because we're going to go in and serve the Lord. That's what it seems like to me. This is a pure heart motive that these women sacrificed. Why? Because when you have a pure motive, you don't count the cost on how valuable that mirror is to you. You just want to serve God. And they gave it. When you sacrifice for God, there isn't anything that's too hard to give. Amen. And I know it's hard for us to understand, well, it's just a mirror. Not to women and not back then with women. But they wanted to serve God. It's a pure mirror. And they gave it up for the making of this labor. You get clean and you see your impurity through that looking glass, through that mirror. Ladies, carry them around. You be sit here. Is the hair right? Is this right? No, it's fine. But what does that mirror show? The mirror, that looking glass of the law, shows us how ugly we are. That looking glass, that law, shows us how unbeautiful we are, and we need the beauty of holiness. We can only get that from the Lord Jesus Christ. And the law is a, is, it's, it's a reflecting looking glass that shows us we ugly. <laughs> We're not clean. We need to be clean. We're going to meet with the Lord. We want to see the reflection of what they look like. Why? It's important. They want to look. And that's fine to do. We should do that. Come to the house of the Lord. Yeah, we're going to get cleaned up. Will it give us eternal life? No. But the law is likened to this looking glass because the law shows the person. Oh, that's what I look like. Yeah. How do I get clean? Only through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. You better trust. You better trust. The six things the law is pictured as a yoke. Deceased husband likened to the law in that in that specific passage. A letter written on stone, a veil, a tutor, and a looking glass. Besides the poor joke that I told, I hope that everybody got a good uh, good lesson from looking at this. It's a good study. Then. All right, let's pray. Thank you for listening to the podcast ministry of Pilgrim Baptist Church. We look forward to seeing you in the next episode. In the meantime, you can sign up for our email newsletter at www.pilgrimbaptist.church.